Our God and Father, Lord, we honor you this day. Gracious Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness to us. God, you are so marvelous and so wonderful, so loving, so righteous and holy are you, O God. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your son Jesus to die for us, each one of us. Oh, Lord, that he would die in our place, that he would take your fierce wrath upon himself, that we might be pardoned. God, we thank you. We honor you. And we bless your holy name. We thank you for the cross. Indeed, it is precious to us, God. And we are growing more and more to value the cross of our Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us. Today, Lord, as we look into your word, we ask that you would help us to focus on the cross. And Lord, the importance of being reminded of the cross each and every day, that we might worship you there at Calvary's tree. God, that we would mourn there over our sins with tears of joy for what you have done for us, God. Indeed, Lord, we tremble with holy fear And Lord, at the same time, we celebrate with joy the freedom that you have given us in Christ. We thank you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our faith and help us to live lives that glorify you. Help us, Lord, to enjoy you more and more as we experience the freedom and the forgiveness of the cross. Because of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, well, kind of having finished up our teaching on the atonement, we want to end by talking about a little bit about what we ought to do with what we've learned. And uh, so if you will, uh, I want to recommend a few resources to you this morning that have been very helpful for me. Uh, This author is a guy by the name of C.J. Mahaney. You may be familiar with him. This is a book that he wrote called Christ, Our Mediator. And this book here is really a book about the atonement and what Christ has done. And then he's also written another book called The Cross-Centered Life. And uh, this is just a fabulous book. I I picked this up last night at 9 o'clock, and between then and now I read it. And uh, it's really an easy read. But it is just power-packed. This book is just fabulous. Some of these things I'm going to be going over today. The Cross-Centered Life. Yes, C.J. Mahaney. Okay, the first one was Christ, Our Mediator. This one is The Cross-Centered Life. Okay. There's another book here by C.J. You know what? I didn't turn that on. What you need, Carol? 
Okay. We could. Okay. We're going to pray for uh, Charlotte Rohde's dad. Is that right? Okay. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we honor you this day. We come to you, Lord, with a, a need of a dear loved one. God, may you have mercy on his soul. God, may you bring healing to his body. And Lord, we have somewhere to turn. We turn to you, God. And we look to you with our trials and our tribulations and our troubles. And we trust in you with all of our heart, God, and we don't lean on our own understanding. But we acknowledge you in this our way. Oh Lord, we thank you that you set our path straight. Oh Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming to you with our needs. We ask that you work your good purpose in the hearts of all who are involved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. I need to hit this button over here. Okay, we're rocking and rolling. All right, so the first one was Christ, our mediator by C.J. Mahaney. And the cross-centered life by the same author, C.J. Mahaney. And then he has this other book. It's called Living the Cross-Centered Life. This book is kind of a compilation of those first two books. So you could just get this one and you would get most of the material that's in those other two books. These little books are really profound and really to the point. And they're also very, um, oh, he just has a real down-to-earth way of writing. And uh, if, if you haven't experienced C.J. Mahaney, he's quite an experience, just listening to his ministry and, and the way that God uses him to speak to us. So living the cross-centered life, okay? Um, <clears throat> so with that, it kind of brings up our topic here, and that is how do we take all of this knowledge about the atonement and how do we apply it to our daily life? What, what do we do with this tremendous and fascinating and awesome thing that God has done? And I want to just kind of start by reminding you about this thing that I always try to remind you about. And it is that there isn't anything happening in God's universe that God has not decreed to happen from all eternity. Okay? This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our sight. This is God's world. And He is the Lord of eternity. He is the God of time. He is the God of creation. He created time and He created space. And He is now currently ruling over it with His almighty power and His infinite wisdom. Amen? Amen. That's who God is. And so when we consider the fact that what's happening in the world is all happening by the command and the design of God, and we think about the fact that the cross is central to everything that God has done, as we have gone over in our uh, talking about the atonement, then it's important to remember that if the cross, if the cross itself, is central in everything that God has done in the creation, then I have this question for you. Should not then the cross also be the central theme of our life? 
And surely if you're a Christian, it is. As a matter of fact, without the cross, you wouldn't have life. Remember that because of the cross is the very reason why God is able to to shed common grace upon the world of unbelieving sinners? Much less the all of the benefits and the glorious promises that come to us in the gospel now through the cross as believers. Amen? So as believers, our whole life flows out of the cross. The cross is the wellspring of God's blessing in our life. The cross is the wellspring of our life, period. The fact that we have life and breath and everything was purchased by Christ at the cross. If there were no cross, a holy God would have nothing to do but destroy us immediately upon our first sin. Amen? But rather, and instead, (laughs) there is a cross. Amen? And because there's a cross, we have life. And we have it to the full. And in Christ, we have the favor of God through the cross. And so, but I want you to just remember this thing. This is a really kind of all-encompassing truth that really is, is rather simple. And it should define the way we live our daily life. And it is this. That if the cross of Calvary is the central theme of everything that God has done in creating the universe, then the cross of Calvary should be the central theme of the life of His creatures. Are you with me? So that means we can't just go through our day happily ignoring God. We can't just go through our day happily ignoring Christ and happily ignoring the cross and Calvary and what God has done. Are you with me? This is the essential thing that God has done in the world. Period. In all of human history, as we studied in our first lesson on the atonement, in all of human history, this is the central focal point of everything God has done. Amen? So it should be the central focal point of our life, of our thinking, of our actions, of our speech. Are you with me? The cross should define our lives as Christians. And, and that's, a, that's a mouthful, really, because the cross means so much, as we've been learning over the last 12 weeks. Amen? There's so much to the cross. And I mean, we've only skimmed the surface. It's, it's so deep, it's so vast, it's so rich, it's so filled with the wisdom of God. Amen? And, and so this, this cross ought to be that which defines our life. And, and that's kind of the point I want to get across today. And I just want to try to help you maybe uh, uh, look at some of these truths of the atonement and what they mean to us in the everyday and how... We should uh, uh, think about what Christ has done and how that should define our lives. And so, if you will, I just pulled out uh, some of the words we used when we were defining the atonement. And we looked at the words like substitutionary and vicarious and propitiatory and expiatory. And we talked about justification and we talked about sacrifice and we talked about reconciliation. And I just want you to see how each one of those truths should and could motivate 
uh, our lives in different ways. Okay? So, the atonement applied. Dear friends, consider the magnificent things that Christ has done. We have, in fact, been redeemed from our sins and reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can, therefore, walk in assurance, confidence, and freedom in our relationship with God, (coughs) excuse me, based on the power of Christ's saving work for us. You hear what I'm saying? Let me repeat that. We can walk in the assurance, confidence, and freedom in our relationship with God based on the power of Christ's saving work for us. You understand what assurance is? In relating to God, do you understand what assurance is? Here's what it means. You can relate to the holy God without fear of his wrath. You can relate to the holy God (laughs) with the assurance that his favor rests upon you and his blessing rests upon you and that there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Amen? So that the only thing that God designs for you now is good. Isn't that what the scripture says? For God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who were called according to his purpose. Amen? And so God has only good designs in mind for the saints now. (laughs) God has no thoughts of destruction toward those who are in Christ. He has only thoughts of blessing and favor. And this is what he now does by his providence. He designs our life to fashion us into the image of Christ, to conform our lives to Christ. Okay? And this is the kind of assurance that we have as believers. Listen, when we're in Christ, listen, there's no angry God. God's anger has been spent. Are you with me? But how often do we live with this guilt and this condemnation when we struggle daily with sin of the anger of God, right? And, and we see God as, as if he were there uh, in all of his holiness ready to pounce on us. Every time we make a mistake, every time we sin, every time we fall short, every time we disrespect Him. Right? When in fact the Scripture says that we are in Christ. And that now, who shall bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Right? It is God who justifies. And God has justified us. And He has reconciled us to Himself. And He has granted us favor in Christ through the cross. Amen? I'm trying to talk to you about assurance. You understand what I'm saying? You can be sure that God has only designs of favor for you now. Are you with me? I know it's hard to believe. (laughs) And the flesh doesn't want to believe it. Okay? But this is the promise of God. This is the promise of God. And this is what the atonement means to us. We can have confidence. Let me tell you something. We have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. Are you with me? This is what the scripture says. There is therefore now no condemnation, right? To those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has what? Set me free from the law of sin and death. You understand? Here's the law. The law of sin and death. Here's how it works. 
You sin, you die. Okay? But if you're in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, there's no more condemnation any longer because you've been set free from the law of sin and death. You understand? You're no longer held captive by the law of God. Why? Because Christ has fully met the demands of the law. Amen? And you are in Christ. And your life is now governed by the law of Christ. What law is that? It's the law of no condemnation because you've been set free from the law of sin and death. You understand? It's not to say that we look lightly upon our sins. No, we hate our sins. It is because of those sins that Jesus had to die. Right? Those are the abhorrent thing to us. We hate our sin. We try not to commit sin, but we do it all the time, don't we? So what are you going to do with that? Well, you're going to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and be reconciled and be saved from the wrath of God through Him and justified by His blood. Amen? Why should God let you into His heaven, you sinner? Let me give you the right answer. Because Jesus died. That's the right answer. Got it? When you get there, you'll remember that, right? That's the right answer. It doesn't go anything like this. God, I did this, or God, I did that. If that's your answer, you're in trouble. Are you with me? The right answer. Because Jesus died. I am in Christ. Amen? And in Christ, listen, the demands of the law have been fully met. Are you with me? Now, family, that's assurance. That's confidence. That's freedom. The law is no longer looming over your shoulder every time you sin to bring death upon you. Okay? Listen, death has been wrestled to the ground and hogtied for good. Are you with me? I know, it's hard to believe. It's really, really hard to believe. That's why it takes faith. And faith comes from God. And it's a powerful thing by the Spirit of God that He gives us so that we can trust in what Christ has done. Amen? Okay, so then, we can now rest in His work and appreciation and appreciate the great things He has done. This appreciation and worship of Christ should therefore drive us to apply what He has done in our daily living so that we live the free and powerful life that God has intended for us by His Spirit. These doctrinal truths should have a very practical effect upon our thinking and our living. You understand? This is a battle that's being waged in your mind as you go through your daily life. And you struggle with sin. You struggle with sin in your thoughts. You struggle with sin in your words. You struggle with sin in your actions. You struggle with sin in your emotions. Right? And so, as you're waging that struggle, these truths of the atonement should be the promises of God that anchor down the gospel for you in your daily life so that you understand that, yes, I'm a sinner, but Christ died for me. Are you with me? And that should cause you to be thankful and worship God and appreciate what He's done, which causes you to hate your sin even more and love Him even more so that you do it less and less frequently. 
as you grow in this deep appreciation for who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. Amen? Are you with me? It's a growing love relationship with God. That's what it is. It's a deepening appreciation and reverence and fear of God. It's a deepening affection for Christ. Are you with me? And the last thing we want to do with somebody who we deeply love is offend them. Amen? Because we really, really love them. And so we only want their benefit. We only want their blessing. Listen, as we grow in our appreciation and affection and love for Christ, the last thing in the world we want to do is sin against Him. Amen? And this is what the cross causes us to do. It causes us to grow in this appreciation. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 6, it says that there, that we are a people to the praise of the glory of His grace. You understand what that means? <clears throat> it means that our life is to be lived as praise to God. Why? Because of the glory of His grace in forgiving us at the cross. Are you with me? And His grace to us is a glorious thing when we think about how God has forgiven us. And you see, this process of sinning and confession and coming before God and being reminded of the cross and God's provision for our sin, it just causes us to grow in this deep appreciation and affection and worship for Christ. Are you with me? So that we come to know Him profoundly. Well, in, in thinking about some of these biblical words we look at the word substitutionary. And remember that that means that Christ died in the place of us. He, he died as a substitute for us. Christ died in our place. Because Jesus died in my place, I should consider that it should have been me that had to die and not him. So think about what it means that Christ was a substitute for you. It means that you didn't have to die for your sin. So then when you sin and you consider this thing, think about this. You think, you know what? I'm really deserving of the wrath of God. You know what? I really ought to be nailed to a cross for what I have done. You know what that causes you to do? It causes you to hate your sin. And it causes you to agree with the righteous justice of God in hating sin. Because sin is evil. It's not virtuous. It's the opposite of virtue. Amen? It's the opposite of goodness. Sin is wicked. It's evil. We should hate it. Are you with me? When we think about the substitutionary atonement of Christ, we think about the fact that He had to die in our place. So now when we sin, we think about this. Listen, I should be on that cross. Why should Jesus have to die for me? Are you with me? And we get a little picture of the Gospel when we see Christ as a substitute Dying in our place. We, we consider how heinous our sin really is. How bad is it? Well, it's this bad that the perfect Son of God would have to come and die in my place. That's how bad it is. It teaches us just how heinous sin really is. Are you with me? And it causes us to hate it. It causes us to hate it, just like God hates it. God hates sin with a holy perfection. Are you with me? His indignation towards sin is infinite. Okay? And so should ours be. 
And when we think about Christ having to die in our place, it should cause us to see how non-valuable that sin really is. Are you with me? And, 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 and therefore we should abhor it. Are you with me? Tell me you're with me. Okay. Praise God, you bunch of sin haters. Instead, he was willing to be the atoning victim and bear the very penalty which is reserved for me. You see, Jesus was willing to be the one that died for Sean. Are you with me? That does something to me deeply and personally. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus died for me. Because I'm a rebel. Because my heart is full of sin. You understand? Jesus died for me. He is the sacrificial lamb which died in my place for my sin. What amazing love is this? And this is what 1 John says. It says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Are you with me? Emphasis on himself. Emphasis on himself. He himself is the propitiation. Do you remember that word propitiation means the atoning victim? He himself is the sacrifice that had to die for my sins. It's a very personal thing. Jesus is the victim who bore my sins in his body on the tree. Amen? You see how that's pretty practical? (laughs) When you start thinking about the ways that you live your life and the things that you do to sin against God, it's very practical. It means something very profound. It's central to everything God has done. Are you with me? Consider then how this should motivate us with thankfulness in our hearts toward God. So, Jesus died in my place. Now I don't have to die. Amen. What amazing love is this? More than this, how it should create in us a hatred for sin, which caused God's wrath to fall upon him instead of me. Motivated now by gratitude for what he has done, I should despise my sin, for it was the reason that Jesus died for me. Oh, blessed mercy. Then we talk about the word vicarious. Remember what that means? Vicarious means in our place, but specifically for us. Specifically for us. Substitution implied personally. And again, this is the point where Jesus died for me. He died for Sean. And I pointed out this one hymn there uh, that's called, How Can It Be? And this is how it goes. It says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Can that be? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why me? Of all people. Why, why should Sean be saved from his sin? Why, why should the blood of Christ be mine? Why should I have a covering for my sin? Can it be? Can I be the poor, blind beggar 
who's the recipient of his free grace? Died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be, that thou, my God, shouldest die for me. You see, it's a very personal thing. Jesus died for me, and he died for you, if you're a Christian. Are you with me? It's a very personal thing. And I want you to know, sin is a very personal thing. It's a personal offense against your Savior and your Lord who gave his life to die for you. Are you with me? Oh, how you're being equipped to walk in his righteousness when you understand this thing. Are you with me? You see sin looming on the horizon? Go the other way. Flee. Run. Get away. Don't touch the unclean thing. Are you with me? We need to appreciate this. As we consider in amazement that Jesus died for us personally, we should consider his goal and his purpose in this matter, as Paul states in Titus. Now think about this. Think about how this uh, cross is applied to us in the teaching of the apostle over and over and over and over again when he starts talking to us about how we ought to live, how we ought to behave, the choices we ought to make, the actions we ought to make, the choices we shouldn't make, and the thoughts we shouldn't have. Are you with me? Listen to how he describes here in Titus <coughs> what God has done in saving us by his grace. Titus two eleven through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds." Now think about how Paul describes how this applies to us. Are you with me? He says that the grace of God has appeared and it does what? It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. What does the cross teach us? What does it say to us? What does it preach to us every day? When we see Jesus the Christ dying on the cross, what does it say to you? Are you with me? Here's what it should say. <laughs> it should instruct you to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly. Are you with me? Oh, believer, think about this. Did Jesus die for nothing? No, indeed, he died for your sin and for mine. Therefore, we should be eager to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. Our Lord has sought to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Therefore, we should be exactly that, zealous for good deeds. Here's what the cross ought to say to us. You are a pure people. 
You are a cleansed, washed, sanctified, holy, and blameless church set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He has sought to purify for himself a people for his very own possession. That's what the cross does. It instructs us. It instructs us who we are. We're a pure people. Christ's death for us personally should motivate us to put away sin and to walk in Christ's love and in his godly character. This is brought to pass in us as we trust in and rely upon the power of the indwelling spirit to produce in us his godly character. You know, here's the other side of the coin. You can't do any of this on your own. Amen? All of this happens by the Spirit. It happens through the Son, but by the Spirit. Are you with me? The power, the juice in the battery, comes from the Spirit of God. The juice in the battery that strengthens you to deny ungodliness, to turn away from your sin. The power to do that comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from within you. It only comes from within you in as much as the Spirit is in you. And He empowers you against sin. Are you with me? He instructs you. And then He strengthens you to deny ungodliness and worldly desire. Are you with me? He gives you strength to do that. You know, some of us just have a sin problem and you know what we need to do? We need to just stop it. We need to just stop doing it. Okay, time out. Okay, time out on the sin. Stop it. Are you with me? How are you going to do that? You don't have any power to do that on your own. The Spirit of God strengthens us in our war against sin. You have to come to Him and surrender there at the cross and say, okay, Lord, I realize I can't do this. Please help me, God. God, please help me. And you know what happens when you cry out to God for help? How many of you know what happens when you cry out to God for help? The Bible says the Lord is our helper. Amen? And he's near to all those who call upon him. Are you with me? Keep struggling against sin? Let me tell you, keep crying out to God. Are you with me? So then. We talk about propitiatory. Now remember what propitiation is, right? Propitiation is the God side of the thing where God in his holy anger is fiercely angry against sin. And because of our sin, God is alienated from us. Remember that? God is alienated from us because of our sin. He sees our sin and he is abhorred by it. Okay? And so what propitiation is, is when that sacrifice, that atoning victim dies, it absorbs the holy wrath of God. Because that's the penalty demanded for sin. You with me? So now when you think about propitiation and you think about what Christ has done for us, right? It's, it's an appeasement or a satisfaction of God's wrath towards sin. Christ satisfied God's divine justice and paid the actual debt of our sin. 
Okay? It's a propitiatory sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross satisfies the wrath of God toward each one of us sinners who has trusted in him. This is the ultimate display of God's love toward those who trust in Christ. In fact, this satisfaction is so complete, it is said to justify us by his blood and to save us from the wrath of God. More than this, it completely reconciles us back to God and the perfect life of Jesus now saves us from sin and death. Consider how Romans 5, 8 through 10 expresses this. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. How does, how does God demonstrate his own love toward us? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see how the Bible describes us? Listen, God's demonstrating his love. How's he doing that? Christ died for us vicarious right not only that but this does what it justifies us his blood justifies us you understand what that means in the legal courtroom of god okay we have been declared righteous we have been declared righteous how by the blood of christ you see what it says Justified by his blood. And this does what? It saves us from the wrath of God. (laughs) Family, this is a glorious truth. That we have been saved from the wrath of God through him. Amen? So you understand what that means? Holy, angry God has been what? satisfied. Now, I want to ask you how that applies to your daily life when you find yourself struggling against sin. Consider this. Because Jesus died for me, God's anger has been spent and he's now satisfied with that. So he no longer holds the penalty of my sin against me. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Amen? So now you don't have to duck every time you sin. Instead, what you do is you remind yourself of the gospel. You remind yourself of the cross. I'm not saying don't own up to your sin. You must own up to your sin to remind yourself about the cross. Are you with me? You look and there is a dying Savior. You see how abhorrent your sin is and you come to hate it again with God. Okay? And you come to realize how great His provision for your sin is again. Are you with me? Okay. Because this is true, consider that how we should rejoice that the furious wrath of the holy God has been spent on him and none remains for us who are infinitely deserving of it. Even more, 
how this should motivate us with a holy fear to keep our life pure from sin. I mean, if you really think about the wrath of God towards sin, there should be a reverence, a deep reverence, even a dreaded terror, amen, of what Christ had to endure in my stead because of my sin. Further, it should create in us a gratitude that strengthens us to honor him for what he has done with lives of purity rather than dishonor him by continued sin, which brings disgrace to his name. When you think about the fact that the wrath of God was absorbed in Christ, we should be grateful. Amen? Jesus was punished in my place. Well, that brings us to this truth about expiation, right? The sacrifice of Christ is expiatory, which means the removal of guilt, or if you will, Christ canceled out or released us from the debt of sin. So remember that there's a God side, and the God side is propitiation, where God's wrath is satisfied. And then there's the man side, where we're guilty because of sin. And we now have this guilt, and we owe a debt, right? The wages of sin is death. What debt do we owe? Death. That's the payment. That's the payment that we owe for sin. Okay, so now when Christ Jesus died for us and he bore the wrath of God, guess what's none left, right? The wages of that sin has been paid in full. Therefore, we no longer bear the debt. The guilt of our sin has been offset by the price that Christ paid. He paid the price demanded by God's righteousness for my sin. Are you with me? So my guilt no longer remains. And so I would say this, free at last. So I'm trying to tell you we're free. We are free from the guilt and the wages of sin. That's what the scripture says. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's no more condemnation. I'm free. Jesus has set me free. Amen. And he who the son set free is free indeed. Amen. Are you enjoying the freedom? I hope so. I sure am. We have been set free from the guilt of our sins. No longer do my past sins rule over me with guilt and condemnation. Rather, I am free to love and enjoy God freely. Amen? I'm going to read it to you one more time. Romans 8, 1 through 3. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. You see that? What the law couldn't do, God did. It's done. Understand? God did. Past tense. It's over. He did it. We've been set free. Amen? Because Christ has canceled the debt of our sin and guilt, we should look forward to our days in how we may glorify God with our lives. 
rather than be depressed with hopeless despair, wondering if God can really forgive us. Are you with me? We don't walk around loathing what a pitiful wretch we are. You understand? We understand we're a pitiful wretch, and we consider it all the time, but we don't loathe it with despair. Are you with me? Rather, we rejoice in what Christ has done to set us free from being a pitiful wretch. (laughs) So that we can be what? So that we can be the children of God. And we can experience the glorious freedom of the children of God. And that we can walk in His love and His kindness and His joy and His patience and His goodness. Are you with me? Those are all benefits and privileges we have, we possess because of the cross. Are you with me? We're free from sin. We don't have to sin anymore. Sin no longer has to be our master. We have the Holy Spirit. You understand? We have victory over sin. Where's the victory? In the cross. By the Spirit. Are you with me? You've got to keep preaching this gospel to yourself every day. Wake up in the morning, you preach the gospel to yourself. You understand? It's going to strengthen you. It's going to empower you to be a godly Christian. It's going to strengthen you. It's going to empower you to glorify God. Okay? When you preach the gospel to yourself every day, it's going to strengthen you and empower you to enjoy God. Are you with me? So that you have a glorious love relationship with the creator of the universe. That ought to define your daily life. It's not mundane. It's supernatural. Are you with me? It far exceeds any kind of enjoyment or pleasure that this world can offer. The life of God and the soul of man. That's why we were created. To enjoy God. Are you with me? So many of us have been bound up by sin for so long, we hardly know what it means to enjoy God. I want to tell you, there is enjoyment in God. Amen? Like your soul never knew. And it just gets deeper, and it gets broader, and it gets wider, and it becomes more glorious. Amen? It's a fabulous thing. It's a fabulous thing. Well, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, since we have been set free from the law of sin and death, we can live to the glory of God with hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude. And that brings us to this truth about justification. And again, justification is a legal declaration of righteousness. A legal declaration of righteousness. That is, right standing with God. Okay? And so, we would state it this way. Christ justified us before God's court on the basis of his own merit. Okay? So what does it mean to be justified? By faith. Right? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Right? So we're justified how? We're justified on the merits of Christ. Christ has earned God's righteousness for us. We therefore now are declared righteous on the basis of what He's done. Okay? So, what does that mean? 
That means we now stand in the favor and in the blessing of God. Why? Because there's no more disfavor. There's no more, there's no more anger. There's no more hatred. All of that has been absorbed by Christ. More than that, in justification, remember there's two sides of justification. The first side is that Christ has met what? You remember this? Christ has met the penal sanctions of the law, right? The penalties. Remember that? So everywhere where it said, thou shalt not, and you did it, right? And the wages of sin is death, guess what? Christ paid that penalty. These are all paid for. Paid in full, right? But remember the other side? The preceptive requirements. Preceptive meaning, you know, precepts. God's precepts, his commandments, his requirements of righteousness, right? These are, don't do that. These are, do this. Are you with me? Preceptive requirements. Christ has met both the penal sanction and the preceptive requirements of the law. Jesus did everything the law said to do. And so not only are we saved by his death, we're saved by his life. And in justification what happens is we receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It gets imputed to our account. This life of Christ saves us in the sense that it grants to us the perfect righteousness of Jesus so that now God sees us in Christ. You understand how perfect that is? So the Bible describes it as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's where we are in Christ. Are you with me? That's what it means to be justified. We are completely and totally in the favor of God's own son. God treats you as if he would treat Christ. It's hard to believe. Isn't it hard to believe? (laughs) But is God ever going to do something to Christ that is designed for Christ's destruction? No way. And here's how the Bible says it about you. It says, God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Every single thing that's happening in your life is happening for your good. Amen? Even the worst things work together for the good of the saints. Amen? And there isn't a single thing happening in your life that God has not designed for your good. That's what it means to be in Christ. And you know where it's going to end up, right? In glory. Amen? (laughs) Can't beat that deal. (laughs) Though the devil may accuse us, we have an advocate with the Father who has dealt with our sins completely. Emphasis on completely. Are you with me? I know what the devil likes to tell you. Because he's telling me the same lie. And I've heard it a million times if I've heard it once. Are you with me? You know, he likes to say things like this, you know, you're not worthy of God's forgiveness. Well, sometimes he does speak the truth. (laughs) Right? Yeah, no, I'm not worthy, you devil. And neither are you. But Jesus died for me. You're going to hell. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me. 
Amen? You with me? You see the difference between the saints and the demons? Even the demons believe, right? And shudder. Because they haven't surrendered at the cross. Amen? The atonement hasn't been applied for them. But it has been for us. Amen? So what's happened to all the devil's lies? Listen. (laughs) They've all been diffused. He can accuse us again and again and again. You know what the Bible says. We have an advocate before the Father. That's what it says. If anyone sins, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. You know us Christians, and you know God, we all hate sin. I'm writing to you that you may not sin. Don't sin, please, okay? And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? So, we don't want to sin, but when we do sin, what happens? We have an advocate. You understand? That's another legal term. You know what the advocate is, right? He's the one that pleads our case. Except this time, he's not pleading our case on how good we are and how God ought to overlook our sin because we're really such a good little saint. Right? No, 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 no. He's pleading our case based on his merit before God. And let me tell you, that argument's already over. Right? Because... He's met the penal sanctions and the preceptive requirements. Right? So his merit before God is perfect. And every time Jesus advocates for those that belong to him, guess what the outcome is? Favor and blessing. Are you with me? (laughs) The same favor and blessing that is in store for Christ is in store for me. I'm a co-heir. I'm a joint heir. I am in Christ Jesus. I belong to him and he belongs to God. Amen? You with me? We got to remind ourselves constantly, all the time. Listen, we're justified in the sight of God because of Christ. Because God has justified us in Christ Jesus our Lord, we should appreciate and glorify God for this great thing that He has done. You see what we do? We just worship. That's our place now. You know, we, we get that little vision in Revelation 5 and everybody's in heaven and they're all before the throne, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a great throng, it says, that no man can number, right? And what are they all saying? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Amen? And they all sing the doxology, Right? They're all there praising God and glorifying Jesus. You know, that's all we do now. We just worship. It's a glorious thing. Jesus is everything. Amen? He's glorious. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will go strangely dim. He's so bright. He's so glorious and perfect. Amen? Everything about Him is just splendid. It's just beautiful and profound. There isn't anything in this world for you. Let me tell you, Jesus is far more valuable. Amen? Are you with me? This is what we do. We just, we just glorify God. We're just thankful. We just celebrate. We cut a rug, man. You know what that means? 
It means dance. I, I know a lot of you have Baptist backgrounds and you don't do that kind of thing. I'm sorry. I'm not picking on the Baptist. I'm a Baptist too. I'm a, I'm a Baptist Pentecostal. Uh, well, there's probably a lot more tags than that. But I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anybody. <laughs> I know all those religious convictions run real deep with y'all. But we're talking about Jesus here, okay? <laughs> Jesus is the one that we're glorying in, and we place no confidence in the flesh, right? We look at the cross and we say, look what Jesus has done, right? He's everything to us. And this is what I'm trying to say. This, All of this truth that we're learning about the atonement, this is the meat of the struggle against sin for us. Every day we look at the cross and we see our glorious God and Savior dying there, a bleeding God. And this is the, this is the central focal point of everything that God has made, a bleeding God on a cross dying at the hands of wicked men. And it's all happening there because of me. I nailed him to the tree. And in the same breath, I'm given a glorious freedom and forgiveness for my sins. And I, I'm made to sing and dance before God for the rest of my life, for all the ages and eons of eternity. Are you with me? I'm telling you, this is the central theme of everything that exists. And it ought to be the central theme of our lives. Amen? And there is great rejoicing in this thing that God has done. I wish I could find words that could exalt our Lord. I suppose it will take all of eternity for me to sing the high praises of our God and everything that he has done in Christ. Amen? Amen. To which I am glad to be there dancing. Are you with me? Okay, then. And so Jesus is a sacrifice. The personal cost to Christ was death in our place. Christ was the actual victim of divine justice. He was the sacrifice that died for us. Consider that this was motivated by the love of God, as John tells us, in this is love, Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, think about this, family. God loves us. Let me tell you, if you are in Christ Jesus, the divine love of God is yours for good, which means forever. And he's proven it by sending his son, Jesus, to absorb his wrath in our place and to give us his perfect life of righteousness. You understand? This is another one of those things that seems too good to be true. Listen, God loves us. He loves us personally. God loves Sean. God has designed from all eternity to set his love upon me. You know how I know that? Because I believe in Jesus. Are you with me? 
And that is a miracle of divine grace by his spirit when he came and he regenerated my soul and he opened up my eyes to see the glory of the cross. Amen? This love of God should then motivate us to want to be like him. This is practically played out in our lives as we live a life of sacrifice to love others in many practical ways. If we truly glorify God for his love, we should show it by making sacrifices of our time, talent, and money to display his love now through our very lives. These sacrifices glorify God and are part of our priestly ministry to him. You understand what a costly sacrifice it was for Jesus to die for us, right? And you know what we're doing, right? We're following Jesus. Which means we do what he does and we go where he goes and we say what he says. Amen? So that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we do what? We love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? And so may our hearts be motivated with the same kind of love that God has for us, which is displayed at the cross by sacrifice. Are you with me? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. What amazing love that you have for us, God. I pray that you would open our eyes to see and that you would, by your spirit, Lord, explain to us in ways that cause us to glorify you, God, and worship you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us at the cross. And I pray, Lord, that we would be empowered each and every day to live in victory over our sins, to glorify you with our thoughts, our words, our actions, and God, to enjoy you with every breath that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.